One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even though the most used modern murder weapon is the handgun, people all over the world are still finding new and inventive ways to kill people. Usually during a crime of passion, a person will use whatever they can find nearby in an attack. This list of unusual weapons, from banjo to jump rope, will make you think twice about what kind of items you keep around your house. Murders with strange weapons this week are mysteriously listed. Number 8. Karen Walsh Newry Island, Christmas Eve night 2008. 45-year-old pharmacist Karen Walsh was going from door to door, giving Christmas cards to her neighbours. She also carried with her a bottle of vodka, which was a gift for another neighbour that wasn't home. So instead Walsh was drinking from it and becoming increasingly intoxicated. Walsh's last stop was her next-door neighbour, 81-year-old pensioner Mari Rankin. Walsh had visited with Mari three or four times prior to this, so it wasn't unusual for the neighbours to chat. According to Walsh, Mari was fine with her intoxication, but the prosecution would later claim this was not the case. Devout Catholic Mari was appalled by Walsh's drunken state and chastised her about her drinking, telling her to go home to her two-year-old son and be a mother. This would send Walsh into a rage. She would grab Mari's crucifix from the wall, a wedding present, and beat the elderly grandmother repeatedly with it. The ferocity of the assault was so severe that the Christ figure was broken off the crucifix. Marks from the crown of thorns were found on Mari's chin, and clumps of her hair were violently pulled out. Mari would ultimately suffer 15 broken bones from the attack, an attack that would be later described by a medical examiner as a, quote, sustained and frenzied assault, unquote. To cover up her crime, Walsh decided to make it look like an intruder broke in. She pulled Mari's body into the bedroom and stripped her naked. Walsh would sexually assault Mari with the same crucifix she murdered her with only minutes earlier. Mari's body would be found by family members visiting her the next day, Christmas morning. Karen Walsh went to trial for her neighbour's murder in October 2011. During the 10-day trial, a psychologist stated Walsh had a, quote, brief psychotic episode in April 2008, and there were references to heavy drinking prior to that, unquote. That during her interview with a psychologist, Walsh proclaimed her innocence, but the psychologist had felt unable to reach a diagnosis with confidence because she found Walsh to be, quote, guarded, suspicious and defensive, unquote. In sentencing, the judge stated Walsh's account of her visit with Mari had been, quote, bizarre, fanciful and unbelievable, unquote. That's due to the fact that Walsh offered no explanation and showed no remorse, 
she posed a significant risk to the public. Karen Walsh must serve at least 20 years in prison before she will be considered for parole. Number 7. Nora Peterson On August 18, 2012, 34-year-old Nora Peterson and her boyfriend, 55-year-old Michael McCasericks, got into a heated argument in their Chicago, Illinois home. Peterson would hit Michael in the head with several different items that were within arm's reach, with the fatal blow coming from a frying pan. Michael would lose consciousness after this and hit his head on the floor. When Peterson realised Michael had stopped breathing, she called for an ambulance. At the same time, neighbours who were alarmed by the sounds coming from the home also called 911. First responders arrived at the apartment at 3.47pm. Michael was unresponsive and not breathing. He was transported to the St Joseph Hospital where he would be pronounced dead. The Kane County Medical Examiner concluded that Michael died from blunt force trauma to the head. Peterson would ultimately accept a plea deal in exchange from having the case not go to trial. She admitted guilt to the first-degree murder charge, a charge that means she will serve a minimum of 22 years in jail. Number 6. Edward Benson May 22, 1991, West Milton, Ohio. A call comes into 911 in the early morning hours from 63-year-old Edward Benson, stating his 60-year-old wife Katie was in need of paramedics. Benson also immediately called an attorney, who arrived at the scene and advised him not to answer investigators' questions. Neighbours would later report the Bensons were quiet and friendly. They had seven adult children and many grandchildren who all visited regularly. That Benson had medical problems that prevented him from working, but he played banjo in a bluegrass band at the local pubs and clubs. Neighbours would later report they heard nothing that night, not until the deputies arrived, something out of the ordinary for the close-knit community. Police would arrive on the scene at 5am to find that Benson had beat his wife Katie to death. He had bludgeoned Katie with one banjo until it broke, before grabbing a second and continuing the assault. Miami County Chief Deputy Charles Price would later state, quote, I've been an officer for 30 years and that's the first banjo killing I've seen. It's just kind of bizarre, unquote. Katie would die en route to Stouder Memorial Hospital in Troy, Ohio. She suffered massive head injuries. Benson would be charged with aggravated murder and held in the Miami County Jail in lieu of a $50,000 bond. November 21, 1991. Miami County Common Judge Robert Lindemann ordered Benson to the Dayton Mental Health Center Forensic Hospital for up to 15 months. He based his decision on reports from three psychologists and the testimony from two of Benson's adult sons. Judge Lindemann said that the psychologists determined Benson understood the proceedings against him, but he wasn't capable of helping his attorneys prepare his defence. Judge Lindemann requested periodic reports on Benson's progress and that another competency hearing be held a year later. Judge Lindemann said, quote, there was substantial probability Benson may be competent by then, unquote. 
However, this would not be the case, and the judge dismissed the aggravated murder indictment against him. Benson was ordered to return to the mental health facility where he will remain until his death. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Number 5. Monique Fogham. In April 2007, five year old Monique Fogham was a kindergartner at Public School 153 in Bronx, New York. She was better known by the nickname Mon. Her family and friends would describe her as beautiful, that she dreamt of being a doctor and loved dancing to hip-hop. When she wasn't outside riding her bicycle, she was jumping rope, her favourite thing to do. Monique was living with her mother Jackie Williams, grandmother Miriam Williams, aunt, four siblings and several cousins, on the seventh floor apartment on Bavona Street at the Boston Secor Houses Eastchester. Monique's grandmother Miriam would arrive home around 6pm on April 22, 2007, to an empty house. However, when she opened the closet door, she would make a gruesome discovery. She found her granddaughter strangled with her jump rope and hanging from the closet door. The kindergartner was taken to Our Lady of Mercy Medical Centre. Nurses and doctors attempted to revive her for more than 45 minutes, but she could not be saved and unfortunately, she would be pronounced dead. Detectives were initially suspicious because Jackie and Miriam's statements about who had access to the apartment and when. This was because initially, investigators believed Monique had also been sexually assaulted. Based on this, the Administration for Child Services took custody of several other children who lived at the apartment. And then police would make an announcement that would shock everyone – A medical examiner would then determine what happened to Monique was no longer a quote-unquote heinous murder, but instead a tragic accident. This was particularly interesting considering the initial claims by investigators that Monique had been sexually assaulted. But what was this based on? And then how could it be so easily disregarded? Regardless, Monique's cause of death was determined to be an accident – that she had accidentally hanged herself while playing with the jump rope. Number 4. Marvin Joseph Hill May 29, 2006, 
49-year-old Marvin Joseph Hill knocked on the door of 29-year-old Christina Eubanks at her apartment in the Fort Sanders area of Knoxville, Tennessee. Hill was a paroled burglar working as a pizza delivery man. Christina knew of Hill and allowed him into her home, but she would reject his sexual advances. This would enrage Hill, and he used a stun gun to disable Christina and render her unconscious. Christina would wake mid-sexual abuse and fight back. Hill would then kill the woman by repeatedly bashing her head with the lid of her toilet tank. Hill concerned that Christina was not yet dead. He would fasten a dog leash around her neck and strangle her, before wrapping Christina's body in a sheet and picnic rug and placing her in his car. He then drove to a small concrete bridge near the intersection of Jim Skirchy Road and Dry Gap Pike, where he dumped his victim's body into the creek. Now, interestingly, this creek would be in walking distance from the mobile home park where he lived with his wife. Public defender Mark Stevens would adamantly disagree with this version of events. He maintained Hill only pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter, that Hill and Christina were in a long-time affair, and on the night of the murder, they had had sex several times and smoked marijuana. Christina then allegedly threatened to tell Hill's wife about their affair. His defence team said he only brought the toilet tank lid into the living room to confront her face to face, but instead he flew into a rage and struck her with the unusual murder weapon. Hill would also deny strangling Christina, but said he dragged her from the apartment using a dog leash around her neck. A Knox County jury deliberated for two and a half hours before finding Hill guilty of murder and abuse of a corpse. They reached the guilty verdicts despite critical evidence being thrown out. This included Hill's videotaped confession, a toxicology report showing Christina's blood to be negative for marijuana, and a set of handcuffs being bought only days before the crime. These handcuffs would later be found in his vehicle with Christina's DNA attached. Because of his crimes, Marvin Joseph Hill would be sentenced to life in prison, with a possibility of parole after 51 years. Number 3. Jimmy Hackley April 2006, Jacksonville, Florida. 61-year-old Jackson Hackley would be charged for the murder of 29-year-old Patricia McCollum. Prosecutors would argue that Hackley had tied Patricia up with her pyjamas before strangling her with a pair of sweatpants. Sweatpants that would later show Hackley's DNA on. That he strangled her so viciously with these sweatpants, blood vessels in her eyes had burst. For the defence, Hackley's lawyers would argue DNA found at the crime scene, a known drug house at the Ravenwood Apartments on Old King's Road, the DNA did not rule out several other men who were there that night. Despite this, it would take the jury only one hour and 15 minutes before delivering a guilty verdict for murder. And based on this, under Florida law, Hackley would be required to serve a mandatory life sentence. Number 2. Jaron Keister 31-year-old Jaron Keister had led a troubled life with several stints in and out of a mental institution throughout his teenage years into adulthood. 
His father, Jim, tried to get him the psychological help he needed. But because Caster was not deemed a danger to himself or others, there was nothing on offer for the desperate father. Caster's mental health would decline further on April 25, 2013, when he would be taken to the county jail on allegations that he threatened employees at the Humane Animal Shelter. His dog had died there two weeks earlier after being hit by a car, but Keister believed the dog was still alive and told him to go back and get him. His father would bail him out the following day. Keister then drove off in his green Mercury Mountaineer before abandoning the vehicle that evening on Highway M in Green County. He would later tell police he believed he was being followed by demons. Keister then would remove all of his clothes and ran into the woods. During a search the next day, police found his clothing and watch along a half-mile track. Sunset April 26, 2013. Keister emerged from the woods and found an empty farmhouse, belonging to 70-year-old Gary Thompson and his wife, 61-year-old Chloe. The retired grandparents were out of town visiting relatives in California. Keister broke a window to gain entry into the home and searched for valuables, taking clothing and food. Gary's brother, 76-year-old Dean, had promised he would regularly check on the house. When he entered the house just after 2.30 April 27th, Keister killed Dean by hitting him with a fireplace poker before covering him with a blanket. Keister would later claim he was worried Dean would call the police and he would go back to prison. Later that night, Gary and Chloe came home. Keister would kill them with a fireplace poker before also stabbing Chloe. Again, Keister would reason these murders due to fear of being discovered. The medical examiner would later determine the two brothers died from blunt force injuries to the head and neck. Chloe also had multiple blunt force traumas to the head as well as stab wounds to her torso. After the murders, Keister decided to leave. He grabbed money, blankets, clothes and a metal bar as a weapon. He stole Dean's blue pickup truck and drove to his father Jim's home. April 28, 2013, at 2.30pm, Jim would contact the police to say his son was at his apartment in a confused state and saying he had hurt three people. Keister would be arrested shortly after. He would be charged with three counts of first-degree homicide and one count each of burglary and operating a vehicle without consent. Lafayette County Prosecutor Kate Finley said the killings were the most vicious crimes ever committed in the county. She asked the judges to sentence Keister to three consecutive life sentences. In a victim statement, Gary and Chloe's son Brian would state, quote, the whole event just haunts us. There's an emptiness that won't go away. Unquote. Instead, though, the judge sentenced Jaron Keister to a life in a mental institution. Before the sentencing, Keister apologised for the slayings and said he had lost touch with reality. He said he was confused and that he never imagined anything like this would ever happen. Number 1. China Arnold August 30, 2005, Dayton, Ohio. 26-year-old China Arnold would rush into the hospital with her 28-day baby daughter, Paris Talley. Arnold would claim she found her daughter unconscious in her crib that morning. 
She told doctors she did not know what happened to Paris. Unfortunately, the baby would soon pass away. The medical examiner determined the baby had died from internal high heat injuries, but confusingly, Paris did not have any external burn marks. Arnold would be arrested for Paris's murder, but would claim in initial police questioning that she did not know how the baby suffered from the burns. She could not recall having anything to do with it. Quote, if I hadn't gotten so drunk, I guess my baby wouldn't have died. Unquote. Investigators looked throughout Arnold's apartment to find what had fatally burned Paris. Finally, they came to a kitchen appliance no one would have ever expected. Police would find Paris's DNA inside the microwave. Prosecutors would argue Arnold intentionally put Paris in the microwave and turned it on after a drunken fight with her boyfriend. The couple argued over whether he was the baby's biological father. Medical examiners would testify that the baby died quickly after her temperatures reached between 107 and 108 degrees Fahrenheit. They said she probably was in the microwave for more than two minutes. Dr. Marcella Ferrero, a retired medical examiner, said, quote, She died because she was overheated. She was essentially cooked from the inside. Unquote. Ultimately, China Arnold would have three trials before the final sentence would be decided. The first trial was on February 2008. This ended in a mistrial where new witnesses surfaced just before closing arguments. The second trial in September 2008 ended in a guilty verdict and a life sentence. But then the appeals court overturned the conviction when it found prosecutorial misconduct. They determined the trial judge erred in not allowing a relevant witness to testify. The third trial in May 2011 would again find Arnold guilty for murdering her daughter. However, this time the sentencing phase was delayed to allow time for a mental capacity evaluation of Arnold. Two psychologists would testify that Arnold had average intelligence and showed no signs of serious mental illness. They determined Arnold suffered from a, quote, low-grade chronic depressive condition as well as alcohol and drug abuse, but nothing that would justify the death of this child, unquote. In arguing for the death sentence, Assistant Montgomery County Prosecutor Dan Brent told the jury there was no factor to migate the, quote, purposeful murder of baby Paris in that microwave, unquote, that Arnold's actions were, quote, even more purposeful than a sleigh with a gun or a knife, unquote, because she had to carry the baby over, place her in the microwave, shut the door and press the buttons. Then she had to wait for around two minutes while the child cooked to death. Defence attorney Kevin Lennon said the death penalty should only go to the worst offenders, that Arnold was impaired by alcohol at the time. Arnold denied to make a statement during her sentencing, and after deliberating for six hours, jurors returned with the conviction of aggravated murder. China Arnold would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility for parole. Her legal team continues to explore appeal options. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. 
If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.